Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Jonah. We're going to start a new series today. You know, it's just kind of different the times that we're living in. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, when I preached, we had uh, planned, I had planned to be filling in for a friend of mine, uh, Greg, who was going on sabbatical. I was supposed to preach for him for two weeks. So Rich was scheduled to preach. Uh, he had to postpone his sabbatical because of the pandemic. And so my wife and I decided to go down to uh, my father-in-law's uh, uh, vacation home and sheltered in place there for a while. And when I woke up on Sunday morning, uh, my wife was watching my sermon. That's the first time on vacation I preached on a Sunday. Um, and then this week, um, I did end up filling in one uh, Sunday for my friend, and Jory helped me uh, record that last week, and he sent that to him. So this Sunday, I'm actually preaching at two churches at the same time. So, man, we just live in strange times. But we are starting a new series. We're going to be in the book of Jonah uh, for several weeks. It's only uh, four chapters. We're going to spend uh, two weeks on each chapter and go a little in depth. We're entitling it Jonah and the City. And uh, when you think of the book of Jonah, you think of Jonah and the... If you said whale, you're wrong. It's Jonah and the big fish. Uh, whale is not in the text anywhere. It's just what's been imagined. And, um, and really, the fish is a minor character in the story. He has a cameo role at best. And we have written so many kids' books about Jonah and the whale. And if you have any at your home, parents, if you have any of those books, or if you ever get to go out and go to a Christian bookstore again, open them up. You'll almost always find this. The story of Jonah is recorded, first chapter, second chapter, third chapter. The fourth chapter is totally left out of kids' books, and that is the punchline. And so the story of Jonah is not about a fish. It's about Jonah's relationship towards the city and the people of Nineveh and Assyria in general. So uh, kids, you have a new chart you can download there. I tried to give some of those out on Wednesday for people who came by to get their balsa wood planes. We will have a new prize. Haven't decided what it is yet, uh, but we will have one. So if you have your chart, it looks something like this, hard to put up on the overhead. Uh, the numbers correspond with the chapters. Like I said, we're going to spend two weeks in each chapter. Uh, so you may have two things to write in there. So today... Uh, the theme of what we're going to look at in chapter 1 in just the first few verses is this. You can't run from God. And folks, this isn't just a kid's sermon. Jonah isn't just for kids because it has an animal in it. This is actually a very serious story, and it's really meant to have a real big sucker punch at the end. But it starts with Jonah running from God, and so kids... We just want to be reminded you can't run from God. When we talk about doing a, a minor prophet, um, I chose this series really months and months ago before we were you know, going to be in a pandemic, do nothing about that. I chose the book of Jonah because I knew we would be in an election year. And about this time, usually, if the news wasn't all about uh, COVID-19, we would be talking about um, the election process and the candidates running and things like that. In fact, actually, there's been very little of that in the news. Um, but usually about this time in this election process, our Facebook feeds, our, our 
communications with one another would be all about the election, and it starts to get a little heated. And so I thought this would be just a good reminder just to step back a little bit and think about how we're treating other people. And uh, when we talk about doing a minor prophet, uh, Jonah is the easiest, uh, although it's a really complex written book that we'll look at in a minute. Most people shy away from the minor prophets because they're hard to read. And so I want to do just a little... uh, introduction to the minor prophets. And, uh, and this is something I do for my classes in Old Testament. And uh, I've shared this with some of you from time to time. The, 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 the prophets are hard to read because of this. First of all, they're written in a foreign language, right? And translated. Second, they're written in mostly, not the book of Jonah, but most of the prophets are written in poetic form. Uh, they're these poetic sermons that take on a a whole different flavor. Poetry is hard enough to read as it is. And then when you talk about this type of poetry, it's even harder to add that. Sometimes this poetic uh, prophecy turns into apocrypha type of literature. I had one scholar, the best way to describe that type of literature was almost like a political cartoon. You've seen some of those. And they make sense to us. You know, maybe you see a political cartoon and it has a cartoon drawing of Trump and Biden and maybe there's a, an elephant and a donkey and, you know, things going on. And you understand the imagery. But understand we're reading that same type of political satire thousands of years later. And we don't get all the symbols. We don't get all the little puns and different things like that. So it's hard to read. And also we don't understand... Uh, the prophets, because we don't understand where they fit in the story. So this is a little chart I've shared with people over the years. And hopefully you can see this kind of on your screen. And let me just kind of explain it to you. This first steady line here, the arrow is pointing to. This represents when um, the nation of Israel was one, right? So they've, they've come out of Egypt. They've gone through the wilderness. They've conquered the land. We've been past the time of Judges and Ruth. And the people ask for a king and they choose Saul. And Saul reigns for 40 years. And then David comes into power. He reigns for 40 years. And then his son, Solomon, reigns for 40 years. And that, that is when Israel is at its height. That's when they are their biggest uh, borders. Uh, they're doing well financially. Things are going well. Solomon's son decides to be, he's going to be a tougher king than his father. And that ends up dividing the kingdom. And what ends up happening is 10 tribes head off to the north. They retain the name Israel. And then... Two tribes remain in the south, and that becomes the nation of Judah. And these two nations war against each other. Sometimes they cooperate, that they war against each other. Uh, Israel is led off into captivity into Assyria, which is part of Nineveh, is the, is the capital here of Assyria. And then uh, later, you know the story, Judah is led into captivity into Babylon. Right? Think of the book of Daniel. And then uh, they come back into, not as their own nation, but they come back into, rebuild the temple. Uh, Think of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so this kind of helps us think through that division and where these books were written. And you're not going to get all this. I don't have this in your notes. But we have three kings, right? And then uh, what we have is these prophets here at the top. These are prophets that wrote to the northern kingdom. Amos, he was a prophet from the south, 
but he came and prophesied in the north. And Hosea, he was a northern prophet, okay? And then we have these prophets that are in the south. They, they mostly wrote about Judea and their kings. Uh, it's important to note that Israel never had a godly king. Judah had a, a string of good kings and bad kings, okay? And then there was a few of the prophets that really wrote to both nations. Micah especially, I think I probably would put Isaiah up there. My seminary professor didn't, but I've been rethinking it. And I'd probably put Isaiah in the middle too. He writes to both nations. So these books of um, Jonah and Nahum, these are different because they're not to Israel and they're not to Judah. They're to nations outside of Israel and Judah. And so these kind of go up in the, in the outer upper part here. They were to the north. And so, um, yeah, these are books that were written to foreign nations. Uh, interesting, I have Jonah and then Nahum here. Uh, some modern scholars have Nahum being written first. And the reason why there's debate is there's really no good information in Nahum to place it, and which would make it even more interesting. Uh, Timothy Keller holds to this view and he would say, Jonah already had the prophecies of Nahum that Assyria was gonna you know, one day be destroyed. So why does he wanna go there? He doesn't wanna go there anyway. So we're not, we're not quite sure there, there's some debate. Okay, and then we um, have these um, books of the Bible here were written um, when they were off in Babylon. Think of Lamentations about the destruction of the temple. Um, Daniel, and then um, we have some that were written, uh, Edom to the south, it was another uh, foreign nation, but although related to Israel. Okay, so it just kind of gives you an idea of when and where the book was written, so you know who the audience is. And so we are talking to a foreign audience. Um, as I was looking, uh, you don't have this in your notes either, but just kind of an outline of Jonah. I really love Timothy Keller's outline, and he's, he's got the book broken up into two scenes. Jonah, the pagans, and the sea, and then Jonah, the pagans, and the city. And what he has shown is that chapters one and chapters two line up perfectly with chapters three and four. It's a replay of the same story. So first of all, we have Jonah and God's word. So God's word comes to Jonah in chapter one, verse one, and in chapter three, verse one. And so you have this, this um, replaying of the same story and pretty interesting same results, okay? So the message is conveyed, uh, the response of Jonah. And then we have Jonah and God's word. And so, uh, excuse me, God's world. So uh, we have uh, the, um, the, the world, uh, the warning and the response of the pagans, the response of the leader, all these things match up again. And then chapter two, remember we have this Jonah and God's grace. And so in the big fish, um, Jonah has this prayer. And then in chapter four, Jonah has this prayer. And so how God taught grace through the fish and then how God taught Jonah grace through the plant. But I think there's even a better comparison here. Remember, there's a big fish in chapter two. And in chapter four, there's a small little worm. And God uses both to teach us grace. Um, but the book of Jonah, just again, by way of introduction, we're gonna jump in here in just a minute. Uh, Jonah is unique in a few different ways. Uh, first of all, Jonah is a prophet from the northern kingdom. There's only three prophets mentioned from the northern kingdom. Jonah is the first. Uh, Hosea, 
uh, was the second or could be, I would say, second there in line. And, um, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus is born in the north. He's considered a prophet. So Jesus could be the third prophet. Um, And Jonah is different in that it shows God's love and mercy extends to the nation. This is a a, a world evangelism type of book. This, This has a bigger scope than Israel and their covenant with God. Um, All of the other prophets are about God's message. If you read Nahum, which again is about Assyria, it's about Nineveh as well, um, it's written in this poetic form. Nahum never goes to Nineveh. He just is given this prophecy and he writes it down so that Israel can sit and watch this and and know that God is still working. But but Jonah isn't about God's message. In fact, the message is very short in here. It's all about Jonah's mission what he is called to do. That is the focus of the story. Another thing that is just really different about um, this book is just how evil Assyria is. And I've looked at a lot of different commentaries and I've I've listened to other people's sermons and people have gone into some great detail uh, about just the gross behavior of Assyria. I just don't think that's necessary. Let me just kind of couch it this way. They were an evil nation. They were ruthless to their enemies. Uh, They were known for cutting off the legs of the soldiers and one arm so that they left one arm so that they had to shake the hand of the conquering general. Um, They were brutal to those that they ruled over and that they took over. And so we go, man, why, why is God concerned about these evil people? And what we find is he is. Excuse me. So here we are, and we're looking at this evil nation. And let me just say this. In, in the Old Testament, God often does this. He'll take his people, Israel, Judah, and when they get off track, he'll bring in another nation to conquer them or, or punish them or you know, uh, enslave them for a moment of time, and then God may rescue them. But the nation that he chooses is not a nation that is better than them or holier. He chooses often a nation that is terrible, worse than than they are to make a point. And that is definitely um, what we expect. And the story here is very reversed. So there's some really uh, consistent themes uh, in the book of Jonah. We're going to talk about mission, what God's calling us to do. Um, That's going to come out right here at the beginning. We're going to talk about God's mercy. Um, Can we just praise him that he is a merciful God? We're going to talk about repentance and what repentance is and what it's not. But we can't read the book of Jonah without mentioning racism and nationalism. And I, I know the audience to which I preach. And I can't see your face here this afternoon as we're recording this sermon Um, But I I know you, and I know that when I mention race and I mention nationalism, some of you kind of tighten up and you're going to say, Dave, don't go there. And uh, let me just say this. I I kind of uh, have been approaching Jonah with some fear and trepidation and and honestly looked at the pandemic as a way to kind of go, well, I can get out of this and do something different. 
uh, and just say I felt led that way. But I felt led to preach on Jonah and address some of these issues. And look, you don't have to agree with me. But I would ask you this. I would ask that you would listen. And that you would examine your heart. And that you would do it sincerely. Because the reality is the heart is deceitful. And we begin to get comfortable with our thoughts and our ways. And we defend it sometimes without thinking about it. So I'm going to push a little bit. And I'm going to ask you as we go through this to examine yourself. See, the problem with Jonah is that the themes are easy to see in other people, but they're hard to see in ourselves. And so what the book of Jonah does is it tells this story. And here's how Jonah is different. It's narrative. And so it tells this story. And what we are meant to do is just kind of, I think the punchline at the end is God holds up a mirror and says, what about you? See, it's easy to see in Jonah what he's doing wrong. It's easy to point, it's, it's almost overkill. It's satire. It's like, Man, this is, yeah, we can easily see this. It's comical. But when we put the mirror back on ourselves, we go, well, that's not me. And I think what God's word is saying is, yeah, this Jonah is in all of us. We are Jonah. And kind of finally, before we jump into Jonah chapter one, is there's some interpretive questions that maybe cause how we lean in the book of Jonah. And probably the biggest question that's unanswered is who wrote the book of Jonah? Uh, traditionally, and it might even say in your Bibles, Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. So here's, here's the script there. What people believe then is that uh, Jonah gives a very fair uh, rendering of his heart. And then he comes to repentance later, not recorded in the story. And he humbly writes the book of Jonah. Very possible. Uh, Timothy Keller would go down that line of thinking. I don't usually disagree with him. Um, I would say we don't know who wrote the book of Jonah. I I don't know that I see repentance in him anywhere in this story. And surely God can lead him to repentance, but we don't know that somebody else didn't record this story so that we would not become like Jonah. So it's really kind of a, a, just an interesting uh, question and it leads us down some thinking and, and we don't know. Okay. Um, And again, it's different, it's style, it's narrative. So like I said, we're going to spend a couple of weeks in each chapter and kind of a bigger introduction today. So let's jump into Jonah chapter one. I'm going to read the first six verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid for the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give 
give, us, give thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah, very familiar for many people. If this is new to you, great. This is going to be a lot of fun. If this is familiar to you, just, just slow down, listen, rethink it. I think one of the things in the book of Jonah is that we are to see ourselves in the narrative of the story through the eyes of Jonah. And we begin to relate to Jonah and learn from Jonah. And then I'm going to call us to lean into Jesus. So we relate to Jonah. I am Jonah. And it's seen in the narrative style. So when we think of Jonah, who is he? Well, like Jonah, um, I know the true God. Look, let's give Jonah credit. He is a prophet. He is mentioned one more time in scripture. Uh, It's a little sketchy. Uh, He gives a prophecy to an evil king uh, of Israel in the north that they are going to prosper. Amos comes later and uh, refutes that and says, no, this is what's going to happen. So one school of thought is, Um, God does this through Jonah and then the evil king messes things up and Amos comes and says, well, now you've lost that. Uh, Another school of thought is, you know, Amos isn't really tracking with God here. Um, But we know that he knows Yahweh. Okay, he's speaking with Yahweh here. He's being led by God. He he knows the commandments. He knows the story. He he knows how to to be a worshiper. He knows how to speak for God. He, He knows Yahweh. So listen, you know God. You believe in God. Good. Demons believe in God. It's more than that. Okay, so, so we recognize that like us, Jonah has a knowledge to some extent and probably even a better knowledge than most of us. And like Jonah, I have a mission. Look, it starts off very simply. The word of the Lord came to Jonah Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. It's pretty clear. Jonah, I've got a mission for you. Now, if, if God came to Jonah and said, I want you to share this prophecy, he would have go, okay, that's what we normally do. But he goes, no, I've got a, I've got a different job for you, Jonah. You're going to go. And you know what? Just like Jonah, we're going to talk about this morning, we have a mission. Like Jonah, God wants to show mercy through me. You know, it's interesting. We're going to find that, that uh, God shows mercy to the sailors. God shows mercy to the Ninevites. Uh, those of you who know the story, no big spoiler alert there. But you know what? God wants to show mercy to those around you through you. Like Jonah, it's hard, but I, I want to call others to repentance. And you know what? Like Jonah... I'm tempted to run away sometimes. The idea of being on mission, of sharing Christ, of speaking out is scary. It's not popular. And so sometimes, maybe not physically run like Jonah did, but we run away from it or we hide from it just like Jonah. I'm like Jonah. It's seen in the narrative style. It's also seen in the word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And so what's our mission? You say, Dave, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I haven't heard the voice of God. It, 
you know, we sum it up here at Hillsborough First Baptist Church very simply. What are we called to do? Love God, love people, make disciples. That, that's a pretty clear mission. How do I grow in my love for God? How do I grow in my love for people? How do I make disciples? There's your mission. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this. When Jesus comes up to the disciples and he says, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He doesn't say, follow me, I'm going to make you ushers. He doesn't say, follow me and I'm going to make you deacons. He doesn't say, follow me, I need some elders. He says, follow me and I'm going to make you people who make other disciples. Right from the beginning, here's the whole thing. You're going to be a disciple maker. You know, what's my calling? Now, I would just say real simply, your calling is the mission, love God, love people, make disciples, wherever God has put you. In, at Intel, with your family, with your grandkids, with your neighbors, where, where you shop, where, where you live, I, that's your calling. Love God, love people, make disciples where God has you. But maybe a bigger question is this. Where's my Nineveh? Where's that place where I don't want to go? You know, it's, it's interesting when you look at the text and you look at a map. I mean, Jonah goes, you know, you want me to go by land, I'm going to go by sea. You want me to go east, I will go west. You want me to go to a city? I, I'm going to pick the, the remotest, most unknown place there, smallest hick town I can think of. I mean, Jonah does the exact opposite of what God asked him to do. Why? Because he doesn't like Assyria, he doesn't like Nineveh, and he doesn't like the people. So who is your Nineveh? Uh, if you look at Nahum, um, you can... Just listen if you want. In Nahum chapter 3, let me just give a little description to Nineveh. Here's what Nahum says. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse, bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies and all for the countless whoring of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms who betrays nations with her whoring and the people with her charms. Look, this was an evil, terrible place. Who is your Nineveh? Who is the people that you don't want to show grace to? That you won't share Christ with? That you don't believe God can redeem? I relate to Jonah because I'm Jonah. I see it in the narrative style. I see it in the word that he calls me to go. Uh, I see it in the, in the word, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and then I see it in this call to go. God has called us to go make disciples, or as you are going, make disciples. So we learn from Jonah. Uh, what, do we, uh, what do we learn from Jonah? And I, I want to look at this in three different ways. Why do we run? How do we run? And what happens when we run? So first of all, 
Why do we run? Just real basically, I think sometimes we just don't believe God. And there's a couple different ways that we don't believe God. Sometimes we don't believe that God will redeem people. But sometimes, I think it's a growing concern. You can, we don't have time this morning. I took a little too long in the introduction. But you can look at Psalm 2. And, and one of the things that we don't believe in is that God will eventually judge. That God will call us to account. That God will deal with evil. Somehow we believe that just love is just going to conquer everything and God's going to just say, oh, don't worry about it. And so we don't believe that judgment is coming. And I just want to say this, you know, folks, this is a Baptist church. And we still believe that hell is real, that it's long, and that it's hot. And so we want to be reminded that we believe God's word. Sometimes we don't believe God in us. And what I mean by that is we don't believe enough that God can work through us. We believe that God might work through somebody else, but maybe not that God will work through us. And one of the things uh, I think that causes that wrong thinking is the church. And I want to say, I mean, I grew up in the church and I totally understand sinful nature because it was taught well in the church. The total depravity of man, that we are sinners, the flesh. Uh, I get that. But you know, the Old Testament said that, that God was going to come to bring us a new heart. And Jesus gives us that new heart. And I don't think we really believe enough in that new heart that God has changed us. And I've been reading a great book uh, by John Eldridge called uh, Waking the Dead. And he writes this. It is not just that the cross did something for us. Something deep and profound happened to us in the death of Jesus Christ. It's not that it just something happened for us that we're saved. It's that something happened to us that our heart was changed. And that because of that, God does and can work through us. We just don't believe it. We don't believe that in Christ we are one with the Lord. We don't believe that in Christ we are useful to our master. We don't believe that in Christ I am a light to others. But the problem with the book of Jonah and the reason why he runs is he does believe God. I mean, at the end, Jonah basically says, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to forgive these people. And so what does that mean? Jonah didn't want them to experience forgiveness. And that is messed up. Jonah doesn't want justice. Jonah doesn't want peace. Jonah doesn't want reconciliation. Jonah wants judgment. He wants the wrath of God. And some of you feel that. You say, oh, those evil, insert whatever it is. Your anti-political party that people group you don't like, that other, whatever it is. And let me just remind you, Jesus said, by the way that you judge, you will be judged. So how do we run from God? Um, This is kind of what I want to focus on today. Just just briefly, again, I I need to get going, but there's different ways that we run from God. Um, You know, None of us have caught a a boat running from what God has called us to do. You know, the pastor calls you and says, uh, hey, can you help out with VBS? And you say, oh, when is it? And, you know, the pastor gives you the dates and you go, oh, man, we already scheduled vacation for that week. I wish I knew. And then you call your spouse and you're like, quick, 
Book us a hotel. We got to get out of town. Um, some of you have done that. But y- you know what I mean? I mean, we don't physically run from God's, but there, but there are ways that we run from God. And, and here's just some thoughts. We run from God by, first of all, rejecting him. And Romans chapter one, it's just, it just lays out this beautiful uh, description of what it looks like when people reject God. And at the end, Paul says this, Romans chapter one, verse 30, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They, 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 they know that. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You know, that is just a description so much of our world today. Not only do they do it, but they, they, they approve of those who do it. They stand up for those who do it. They start campaigns, whatever it is. So one way that we run from God is just simply by rejecting him. But that's not the only way. In fact, in the book of Romans, man, you know, you could just listen to the Jews reading the chapter one going, yes, those evil Gentiles. You know what? The rest of the book isn't about the evil Gentiles. The rest of the book is about the Jews. And so in chapters two and three, he talks about religious distancing. We know all about social distancing today. And so I wanted to use this term religious distancing. And that is when we think that we are so good that we distance ourselves from other people. And you know what ends up happening? We distance ourselves so much that we end up distancing ourselves from God. And you know, I've been in ministry for 30 years now and I get it. Like I get some of the rules and we say, look, the Bible says I grew up in Baptist church. The Bible says you don't do this. If you do this, you're going to hell. And then you grow up and you go, well, the Bible doesn't actually say you shouldn't do this, but you should do it in moderation. And so a whole nother generation comes up and they said, yeah, you taught us wrong. And they start doing it and what ends up happening? The pendulum swings the other way and they get in trouble. And so we set rules to keep ourselves out of trouble. But we make those rules, thus saith the Lord, when they're just really guidelines. And we do this on all sorts of things, how we dress, what we eat, uh, how we date, how we, how we uh, relate to other people. I mean, all these, we, just, we do all this stuff and we go, this, this is it. And what ends up happening is we have so many rules that we start following the rules and we lose the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in Romans chapter two, and I read the summation of, of chapter one. Let me just read the, the summary of Romans chapter two. I think it's, it's helpful for us. If I, can, if I can find it, wow. Romans chapter two and uh, verses 17 through 24, Paul says this. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are guided, guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that we must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery or lust, right? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. 
For it is written, the name of, the, of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so here's the idea. So look, look, the more that we try to live by the law, the more we end up distancing ourselves from God because we can't live according to those rules. We need the grace of Jesus Christ. So we run by God by giving ourselves some religious distancing rules. Third, we run from God by replacing him. Uh, in our Bible reading, we were in 1 John, uh, man, great book, all about love, and it's hard to read. And, and I'm, I'm reading all this, and we get to the, the last chapter, and I, I'm you know, reading our daily devotion, and he, he does all this stuff. In the very last verse, in chapter 21, John just ends this way, and keep yourself away from idols. And I thought, man, and all the stuff that John said, why does he have to throw that out? Like, you picture people, like, walking through the local marketplace, and they go, ooh, look at that idol. Maybe we should get one. Should we get one? No, we probably shouldn't. No, that's not what it's about. The reality is we all have a tendency to create idols in our lives. And some of them are really good things that we have now become to put into a place of worship. And if we don't have that thing, then we stop believing in God. Maybe it's family or health or a political party, certain moral standards, certain financial standard, an ideal whatever. And that becomes such an idol that if I don't get that thing, then I don't know that God loves me. Well, then what do you love? You see, John knows exactly what the heart is like. And he says, keep yourself from those things that keep you from loving God. I think another way that we run from God is we rationalize his teachings. Um, you know, Jonah gets this call. And Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that, that great city. And I want you, I've heard about their deeds. And I want you to go preach to them. And Jonah thinks to himself, look, this is a, a warring nation. Uh, this is our enemy. Uh, in Tim Ke Keller's book, he says man, he'd maybe already heard uh, some of the prophecies in Nahum. Man, I don't, I don't want to support that. And uh, surely God doesn't want them. And this seems like a pretty dangerous situation. It doesn't sound good to me. So I must not understand it correctly. It must not be a good thing. Or it sounds hard to me. That must not be from God. Maybe it's good for other people, but I don't think God really wants me to do that. We, we begin to rationalize it. You know, sometimes when we're talking uh, about Jesus, we, we're afraid of, of coming on too strong. And so sometimes we, we rationalize things. And it's a way that we run from God. In essence, we redefine him. Um, we shape God into our image instead of God shaping us and reshaping us back into his image. You know, I, I think one of the greatest examples of this in the New Testament is Jesus says very plainly to his disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem, that he's going to be betrayed, and that he is going to be crucified and you know, uh, the disciples don't know what to do with this. And so Peter pulls them aside and says, you know, this isn't a good idea, Lord. And what's Jesus' response to him? Get behind me, Satan. Look, there's, there's times when God calls us to do the very hard, the very difficult. And, and it doesn't mean that it's not from God. And, you know, I think in all this redefining, 
We think that, that God just is kind of saving us and then just kind of keeping us for something better in the future. And I want to again say this, God, God wants to reshape your heart. God wants to change you and mold you and shape you. So let me just real quickly, uh, what happens when we run from God? Um, I, it's in the text here. Um, when we run from God, we go down. Uh, so Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord, verse 2, uh, excuse me, verse 3, he went down. <laughs> I think that's just a great vision. Uh, he went down and he paid his own fare. Uh, Donald Barnhouse says this, when you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going and you always pay your own fare. On the other hand, when you go the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going and he pays the fare. Um, what happens next? He ends up in a boat in a great tempest, God disciplines us. When we run from God, we encounter discipline. And then what's going on? Man, now these sailors, they have taken all of their profit of shipping these items and tossed it overboard. You know what? When we run from God, we hurt other people. We don't just hurt ourselves. You say, well, this is about me. No, Jonah is actually costing other people. So I said we're going to look at it in this three ways, uh, you know, just looking at uh, uh, what we learned from Jonah, how we are Jonah, and then I just wanted to lean into Jesus. And uh, one of the things that was pointed out to me, and I think we're, we'll keep coming back to this, but uh, Timothy Keller points out how uh, the book of Jonah is a lot like the parable of the prodigal son. And in Luke Chapter 15, I just want to read that story to you again. I want you to listen maybe with new ears. Jesus is telling this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took, on a, journey, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. He began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And, what, and he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So remember, he comes to himself and he goes back. I'm going to skip part of the story, pick it up in verse 25, Luke chapter 15. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew, drew near to the house. He heard the music and dancing and he called one of the servants and, and asked what, what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. In the story of Jonah, it's like we have both brothers. In chapters one and two, we have the prodigal son. And in chapters three and four, we have the older brother. But the reality is both of them had a wrong way of looking at their relationship with the father. So I want to ask you these questions. Where is Jesus speaking to you? And you go, Dave, we're Baptists. God doesn't do that anymore. Listen, God speaks to you as you read his word. God speaks to you as you uh, listen to him, as you pray. Uh, what is God saying to your heart? 
And you know, I think so long we've just learned to just put those feelings off. And I'm just trying to, to respond a little bit more to what I sense maybe God is doing. And you know what? It leads to maybe some embarrassment. Maybe I miss it. I don't know. But, but what is God saying to you? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. What's the word of the Lord that God is bringing to you? Where do you see your love for others growing? If God is in you, I'm, I'm going to promise you this. If God is in you and he's reshaping you into your image, you will see people differently. You'll begin to love difficult people. You'll begin to see them with different eyes. So if you're growing in Christ, you should be growing in your love for other people. So where do you see that love growing? And I say it for this reason. If you don't see that love growing, then you might need to pause. And where do you see the love for the world fading? You know, one of the things that just entices us is the love of riches, the love of comfort, the love of just being safe in our own place. And that love just grows and grows. So where are you seeing that fading? So here's some application and action. Uh, who, who is God in the story? God calls us to action. He shows love to our enemies and he calls everyone to repentance. What has he done? He asks us to take a good look at ourselves. You're Jonah. What do you need to learn from this story? What does he call us to do? Go make disciples. Be like Jesus. Love your enemy. Stop being religious and be real. This is going to be a challenging series. And I, I'm not meaning to push buttons. I'm just meaning for us to get and take a look. But let me just start by saying this. Let me start right where I, I started. Look, you can't run from God. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this morning, this day. Uh, wherever people are, I pray that you would uh, speak to them. I pray that you'd have your hand upon them. I pray that as a church, you would protect us, that you would help us to grow and be light to those around us, that we would learn from the study and be open to what you have to say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.